The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. I want to ask you a question. Did you read your Bible this week? Yes. All right. I love it. It's getting louder. It's going to be even louder next week when I ask that question. Well, uh, i got a question for you, another question. Why do we have this up here on the stage, on the wall? Granger made this, by the way. I was very thankful for that. But why, did, why, did, uh, why do we find it important to put this up here? Why was it that when we were doing the plans for the building years ago that, that there was concern that even in an even in uh, inexpensive metal building that we have a cross out on our, uh, the wall of the church? Ah, good. It's a reminder. What, what, so we're not worshiping that wood on the wall, right? But it's a reminder of something. It's a reminder of the message of the gospel. Uh, and the message of the gospel is all centered on what Jesus did for us. That he is God's son who came as the perfect God-man, lived the perfect life. And gave his life by dying on a cross. He intentionally, willfully went to the cross to give his blood as payment for our sin. We deserved punishment. He took it. And so those who trust in God's provision, Jesus, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection. Those who trust in God's provision, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. They are saved from the coming judgment. They are saved. They are followers of Christ from that point on. And so the message of the cross is symbolized in the wooden cross that's here. Another symbol is the, the, the Sabbath or the gathering on Sundays. You may not have thought about that before, but I was reading this week in preparation for the message, and there's just memorials or symbols all throughout scriptures that God said, do this, and I'm, doing, I'm asking you to do this, or I'm commanding you to do this, because it will remind you of very important uh, truths in the in Exodus thirty one thirteen it says, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, plural, throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So we set apart a day. We as Christians set apart a Sunday because of the resurrection of Christ. We set apart a day and make it a priority to remember that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And so we have to set apart things in our life to help us never forget, to help us always remember. That's what today's message is all about as we look in Joshua chapter 4. When I've been going through these passages and preaching each week, it's been a little frustrating because when you read the scriptures, there are various levels that are going on. Incredible scripture that you just see and the big picture story. It's always pointing to Jesus. Jesus himself said to his followers, hey, you know that your Old Testament scriptures, they all are about me. And what we know that means is that not just the specific prophecies that, he, that were made that said there will be a Messiah, he'll be born in this town, he will die this way, and all this will happen. Those certainly were about Jesus. But in a, in a more difficult way to see, all of the message of the Old Testament was a picture and a shadow of Jesus, and the meaning, when you put it all together, Jesus fulfills it all and makes sense of it all. And what we've been seeing is the bigger picture is the story of the gospel that we symbolize with the cross. That when... Israel was 
enslaved in bondage in Egypt, God raised up a deliverer to redeem them from their enslavement, brought them across the Red Sea, and made them his people. That is a beautiful, glorious picture of salvation, that Christ redeems us from our enslavement to sin. It was solely by his grace. It is a gift, and we followed him. We trusted him. He delivers us across the sea of our sins. He forgives us. And we see the same thing happening in Joshua, that as he leads God's people into the promised land, God parts the sea. He does the miracle of grace. He delivers them into the promised land. This, too, is a picture Jesus is the greater Joshua. He is the the names are the same in two different languages. It means Yahweh saves that Jesus is the greater Joshua who delivers us into our promised land that he gives us the eternal life that he has promised us. And it is all solely a miraculous gift by his grace. And so in these stories, we see beautiful pictures of salvation that is given us in Christ. But then we also see as we get into week in and week out these daily stories, we see lessons in faith. And that is for, to equip us for our life of faith, for this life that we live as believers who have been saved by the glorious grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have to live each day faithful lives. And it's a battle. We saw last week, it's a battle of faith that the writer of Hebrews says, faith is assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. We do not have eyes yet that see reality. We have, we have to wait till Christ returns and then seeing will be believing. Until then, it requires faith. God gives us faith to believe the words of the word of God that reveals the unseen realities of God, things that we would not know any other way, things that we cannot discern logically. We have to depend on God's grace to reveal them to us. In the word of God, we see the character of God. We see the plans of God. We see the promises of God. We see the purposes of God. And as we read the word of God, we are we are, are taught, our minds and our hearts increase in faith to learn to know how to walk in the, the invisible realm that we cannot see and touch, but has been revealed until he finally returns. And then we see it all with our eyes. And so it's a battle. And it requires oftentimes scary steps of faith, as we saw last week, that they had to touch the soles of their feet to the water before God would part the waters. And so each week as we study the scriptures, what are they doing back there to them? (laughs) Someone go check on this. Just kidding. It's a great, great ministry back there. All you guests, I promise. So each week we are living by faith and the word of God equips us and gives us confidence to know that God is trustworthy, God is faithful. And as we come to this text today, we see the same place that we left off in chapter uh, 3 is, is the same scene where they were crossing the river. Now, in chapter 4, there's different ca- camera angle lenses on the same events to teach us more and give us insight into these events and to make a different point. And today, the point is very clear. We must be sure to teach every generation the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, and the best way to think of that phrase, is the awe, awesomeness of God. That knowing God, the awe of God, that it's a healthy fear that leads us to humble, repentant, dependent trust 
and obedience to the one true God who is the creator, who parts the seas, who controls the universe? Are we teaching the next generation to fear the Lord? Father, we ask for your help this morning. I know that many of us could easily get discouraged by this message and being acutely aware of our failures. But Lord, as the people of grace, may we not wallow in our past, but may we determine today to walk in faithfulness at every opportunity you give us going forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at, first of all, the command for a memorial in chapter 4, and then we will examine the meaning of the memorial. First of all, the command for the memorial comes in the text that Kevin already read for us. Let me read it again as we look at this command to establish this eternal memorial. It says in verse 1, Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again back to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulders and according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel and let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So let's look at this command to establish a memorial. First of all, notice the purpose of the command. They're told, take stones from the feet of the priests... And to establish these stones on the other side of the river and to set them up. In verse 6, we're told the purpose of this command is that it will be a sign to the children. Signs don't point to themselves. Signs don't say, hey, look at me. It's all about me. Signs say, hey... When you look at me, remember to look there or go there. This cross is not about the wood. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a sign pointing everyone who looks at it to remember what God did by his unfathomable grace to save a sinner like me who did not deserve it, who was impossibly addicted to sin and enslaved and in bondage to it, and he set me free. And so we look at that and we say, praise God for what he did at the cross. And so he commands them. And the purpose of this command is not, hey, look at these cool stones. It is a sign to point the kids to what God did that day. Notice also the priority of the command. Imagine that day. Let us not forget the reality of these events. This is a real historical event. Joshua just 
by God's grace, led millions of people probably. Certainly we know there were hundreds of thousands of men, which means if you also count the men, women, and children, that many people just crossed a river that was dried up. So here he is in the middle of this scene saying, okay, did we get all the kids? Have we got everybody across? Is anybody left behind? Make sure we haven't lost anybody. Get them across. And he's got the, the priest standing in the middle of the river that's raging and it's cut off and it's stacked up. And he's got the priest in there with the ark. And he's like, I got to get these people out of there. And nobody touched the ark. You die if you touch the ark. And he's following these instructions very carefully. And then in verses 11 through 13, we see just a glimpse of the the tyranny of the urgent that Joshua was facing that day. And it says, when all the people, verse 11, when all the people had finished crossing, when the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over in their battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them about 40,000 equipped For war crossed over for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. What is that talking about? That's when a generation before Moses told the people, there was two and a half of the 12 tribes who said, hey, can we live on this side of the Jordan River instead of living on the other side where everybody else is going to live? And he said, that's fine, but we are one people. And so the battle, the men who can fight among you will cross over with everyone else and they will help conquer the land, and then they can come back and live on this side. And it was a covenant, and it was a promise that they had to keep. And so Joshua is remembering all this. He's got this massive to-do list. Oh yeah, I got to get them over. Okay, your family's going to stay over there, but all the 40,000 men are going to get in their battle equipment, and they're going to come over on this side of the river. And don't you know, he thought, I have got to get them set up immediately. We are now in enemy territory. We have got to be smart here. I've got to line the warriors up to protect our flanks because we are in a very dangerous, vulnerable position. And with this and a thousand other things pressing in, demanding Joshua's attention, demanding that the people focus on this and that and the other, God says, no, you will do one thing next. You will set up a memorial. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care how important you think those things are. This will be your priority. So we see the priority of the command. Finally, notice the recipients of the command. He says that the head of each family will establish this memorial. The head of each tribe was to go into the river... And he was to go to the presence of God. And he was to bear the burden of carrying that stone which came from the presence of God and to bring it over to his family and lay it down. That's the one I got. And be a part of setting up a memorial for all the families to never forget the fear of the Lord. So you see where this is going. God commanded the head of each family to make it a priority to go into the presence of God and to carry the burden of perpetually reminding their family of what God did on behalf of his people. 
we as parents, especially as men whom God has called to be the head, have to make it a priority to go into the presence of God and to shoulder the burden of perpetually reminding our families of what God has done in our lives. What is more important than that? What in your life is so pressing and so important that it would justify not doing what God expected Joshua to do here? We are commanded to perpetually remind every generation of the awe of God. So that's the command of the memorial. What is the meaning of the memorial? Again, going back to verse 6, he tells us, let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, and notice the wording here in this instance is very peculiar, very personal. Dad, what do these stones mean to you? Grandmother, what what do these stones mean to you? It's not just general. What do these mean? What do these mean to you? What impact? What stories? What does this mean to you? The meaning of the memorial can be broken down into two big, large categories that kind of encapsulate all the rest of these verses. First of all, the faithfulness of God's people. The faithfulness of God's people. Secondly, the faithfulness of God. When the child asks, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Granddad, what, what does this mean to you? I know they talked about the obedience of the people. The narrative is written in such a way that careful description is written to make it very clear that they were very careful to obey God. And that was necessary for this amazing work to happen. In the big picture, God told them exactly how to enter the water, told them the order that the priests must carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they must be half a mile ahead of the people so the people stay a half mile back so they can see exactly where the Lord is going and where He's parting the water. They should go only the way that He has determined for them to go, and the priests are to step their soul, and it's not until the soul of the priest touch the water that the waters will be cut off, and they will go, and then the priests will stop, and they will not 
not go ahead. They will stop where the presence of God is resting right at the heart of this whole event. And they will stay there until every single person has gotten across the waters. And the, the whole narrative is described very clearly. They did exactly what God said to do. That's the big picture in the, in the more detailed pattern of this text that we're looking at. Verse 1, we see a pattern established in verse 1, verse 4, verse 8. Verse 1, it says, the Lord tells Joshua, command the people. Verse 4, Joshua commands the people. Verse 8, the people do all Joseph commanded. And as a result, verse 14, God exalted Joshua in the eyes of the people, just as he said he would do in chapter 3, verse 7. The pattern repeats itself in the second half of the text. Verse 15, Joshua... Joshua is to command the priests. In verse 17, Joshua commands the priests. In the remaining verses, the priests do exactly as they were commanded. As a result, in chapter 5, verse 1, God melts the hearts of the people in the land. The point is very clear. God works amazing, amazingly, but He does it through the careful obedience of His people. So whether it's the command to build the memorial, or maybe it's the command for 40,000 fighting men to go across the river to fight with the people, or the command for the priest to carry the ark into the center of the waters, or the command to step the sole of their feet on the water before they can see God do an amazing miracle, or what other commands you can find, they're all over the place. All throughout the story, we see the necessity of God's people to be very careful to obey the Lord. Imagine when the child asks their dad, what does this mean to you? Oh, son, that's the scariest day of my life. God told us to walk into a raging river. It made no sense, son. But you know what I knew? Your grandfather died in the desert because he didn't trust God enough to take that step of faith. I learned from my father's mistakes. I will trust the Lord, he tells his son. Oh, son, that day, God told the priest to go first. And as it is with God, he said, I'm not doing a thing until I see the sole of your foot touch that water. You've got to trust me. And son, you're not going to believe what I saw. It was amazing. And that one day, we finally, finally got it right as a people. Your great-great-grandfather was a slave in Egypt. And your great-grandfather walked across the dried-up Red Sea. And your dad, I walked across the Jordan River. And every step of the way, we were scared to death. But every step of the way, God was faithful. Son, when you get your chance, you obey the Lord. It's worth it. You can trust Him. Are we having those conversations in our houses?
Are we teaching the next generation to fear the Lord? Don't look backwards. Start today. Grace covers our lives. But grace always produces obedience going forward. Not only is this memorial a reminder of the necessity of the faithfulness of God's people, but it also is an incredible reminder of God's faithfulness. It's too hard to try to pull out different scripture. I'm just going to read the remaining passage, verses 14 through 24. It's basically a record of the same event with a different camera angle, as opposed from on that side of the Jordan, now we're on the other side. And he says in verse 14, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, so they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. Verse 15, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. It came about when the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan, and the soles of, their, of the priests' feet were lifted up to the dry ground. Notice the detail again, that as soon as the last sole of the last priest was lifted up and touched the dry river bank, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went to the Jordan, returned to the place up from the Jordan, excuse me, all over the, they returned to the place, went over all of its banks as before. Verse 19, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, just as he was told. And he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord, the Lord your God, dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed. Just as the Lord your God had done in the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. Notice the generational pattern that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God's faithfulness is all over this passage. We'll look at three ways we see in the narrative God's faithfulness. We see it in Joshua the exaltation of Joshua. We see it in the constant mention of this, the ark. And we'll see it in the, the strange interchange about these stones. In 4.14, we see the exaltation of, of, of Joshua. It says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. He is intentionally pointing this out because in chapter 3, verse 7, this is exactly what God said he would do. God said, If you do what I'm telling you to do, Joshua, I will exalt you in the eyes of the people. 
In verse 7 of chapter 3, we see why that's so important. It says, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, so that they may know that I have been with Moses, I am with you just as I have been with Moses. That's why it was so important. Because God is saying, I am faithful to every generation. In fact, in Exodus 3.15, he says, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. His name is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, the God of David, the God of Jesus, the God of you. God is faithful from generation to to generation. He will never fail you. That's the essence of his identity. That's what his name Yahweh means. I am. I am eternally existence. I am what you will need in every situation that you face. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you know God, that's who you know. And he says, set this up so that when they ask, they will know I am with you. Just like I was with your dad, just like I was with your grandfather, just like I was with your great-grandfather. You can trust me. I'm faithful. Are we teaching that to our kids? So we see God's faithfulness in his exaltation of Joshua, just like he did Moses, just like he said he would do. We also see God's faithfulness in the ark. The ark has been a centerpiece of this whole miracle. We see God's faithfulness in the fact that the ark of God, which was carried by the priest, was the manifestation of the presence of God. And it was center in the river until all this was concluded. The ark of the covenant was was every was the point that God was doing every bit of what you see. This was no mere coincidence. That's why he mentions the souls of the priests. That it didn't start until they, with the with presence of God, touched the river. And it didn't end until the last foot was out of the river. This was no coincidence. Don't go study geographic history and say, well, there's been two other times that this river has parted. Oh, really? Right when the foot touched the water? And right when he pulled the foot out? Wow, that worked out good. Praise God. Thanks God. I did my lucky rabbit's foot that day. This was a miracle of God. It is written so intentionally that you tell your kids that river stopped flowing as soon as their foot hit the water. And it started as soon as their foot came out of the water. This is not luck. This is not a strange coincidence. This is the power of a miracle working God working on our behalf. That's the kind of God you worship. So we see God's faithfulness in the exaltation of Joshua like Moses. We see God's faithfulness in the ark. Finally, we see God's faithfulness in this interesting, dynamic description of stones. As you were reading the passage this week, because I know you were reading it this week, and you got to verse 9, did you just say, do what? Wait, Joshua set up stones in the river. I thought we were just setting stones up on the other side of the river. It's confusing. We don't exactly know what's going on here. And I think that's the point of the narrative is as you're reading along and you're going through, he arrests our attention to focus on these stones. 
We don't know if Joshua had two different sets of stones going on where Joshua set 12 stones up in the river at the very X marks, the spot where the presence of God stood. He put the stones at the feet of the priest and then he left them there so that when the river covered the waters, that when it dried up, every time the rivers dried up, the the stone monument started appearing and it was a reminder of God and what he did that day. Or perhaps it was just one memorial and the stones were set up twice that Joshua set the stones in the center saying, priests, stand here. This is what marks the center. This will be the presence of God. And then as soon as they were done, he told 12 guys, come and get the stones and set them up on the dry riverbanks. And we're never going to forget what God did. Either way, we as readers stop. And think about these stones. And it's clear, these stones mark the presence of God in this miracle. Imagine seeing the parents' face light up as they tell this story. Son, you should have been there. God is awesome. Imagine the grandfather and the grandmother, the twinkle in their eyes as they're telling the story. And as their spirits are lifted, as they themselves are reminded once again of a distant memory that had started to fade because of the pains of their body and their failing body and their failing minds and and the circumstances of life and the demands that are on them. But when the child sees this memorial, what does this mean to you, granddad? And he stops and he tells them, he remembers once again the awe-striking power of God and he worships that God once again. And that child sees his grandfather or his father or his mother or his aunt or his uncle sees them worshiping God as he tells of what God did that day and all their faith is increased. Are we teaching the next generation the fear of the Lord? There's tragic irony in these stories overarching narrative. Think about it. This generation that finally takes the step of faith is learning from the failures of the prior generation. Praise God. Their fathers and grandfathers didn't take the step of faith. They died in the desert. But God is gracious to use even our failures. Ironically, after we get to the end of Joshua and they've taken the land and they're settled across the territories. The next book is Judges. In Judges chapter 2, verse 6, we read this. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went to their inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, that generation of Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. And they buried him 
And all that generation, Joshua's generation, was gathered to their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. They didn't teach the next generation. And as a result, the book of Judges is a story of the failures that come when we do not teach the next generation to fear the Lord. Now let me backtrack again before this story. Before Moses died, Moses was the mentor to Joshua. He pulls Joshua to side in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. And he says, now this is the commandment, holding his Bible. This is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, Joshua, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. That's the same purpose of this memorial, that you, your son, and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. He says, here's the word of God that you might continually fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I'm commanding you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do this, that it may be well with you, that you might multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. These words, which I'm commanding you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand that they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When your son asks you in times coming, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, opening your Bible, we were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and plagues and wonders before the eyes of Egypt, Pharaoh and all of his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us into this land which he had sworn to our fathers. So Yahweh, the Lord, commanded us to observe these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good. Always and for our survival as it is today, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded. That is what defines us. We are a people of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. 
We are the people of God. And from beginning to end, he has said, I am faithful. I redeemed you out of your bondage to, to in slavery to sin. I purchased your righteousness with my own blood. I resurrected you from the spiritual dead to life. And I'm giving you my word. And you must be careful to Think about this word, meditate on it, that you are doing everything that I tell you for then you will be successful. Then you'll be prosperous and you must teach this from generation to generation. Tell them, open the Bible, tell them how I delivered you out of Egypt. Tell them how I delivered you across the Red Sea. Tell them how I delivered you across the Jordan River. Tell them of my grace and my mercy and my miraculous power in your life. Open your book of remembrance and tell Tell them how it works in your life. Tell them about how I answered prayers in your life. Tell them about that scary step of obedience that you took and I showed up. Tell them I have never failed you. Tell them I will never fail them. Tell them I'm the same God of their grandfather and I will be their God. Don't forget God when you get busy in the new land. This is what defines us as a church. We are a people of the word of God. And we're not even reading the word of God. We certainly aren't passing the word of God down to the next generation. And we are seeing the prices that that we pay for that. But it stops today. No sport. No hobby. No education, no career is more important than this. And you will mess up, but God is gracious to give your kids faith even when you fail. Praise God for that grace. We must teach every generation to fear the Lord. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.